Dawn of Mantis is brought to you by Redbeard Sound. Redbeard Sound provides music production, audio editing, and live sound engineering, and is where Dawn of Mantis records our podcast. You can find Sam's information on our website, dawnofmantis.com, or at redbeardsound.com. Extra, extra, Dawn of Mantis now has a merch store. There are t-shirts, long and short sleeve, as well as hoodies. Just go to dawnofmantis.com and click the t-shirt link. And while you're there, you can check out our Patreon. All our Patreon tiers have Discord benefit. This means you can join our text chat and even listen to our podcast live as we record it on Tuesday nights. Quiet your Ever since the Earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But two brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. Welcome to Dawn of Mantis, a variety podcast. You can find us online, www.dawnofmantis.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We have a Patreon. What else do we have? We have some other stuff, too. We have t-shirts. Go to Twitter. You can find our link if you want to order a t-shirt. The graphic's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, put in your address, buy it, and it will be shipped to you mm-hmm. quite quickly. Quite quickly. Did the person that I, I guess they haven't gotten that yet, but. I haven't I talked to her. I think it's within a week, right? You get yeah. It? Oh, yeah. I got yeah. I got mine. A week or maybe 10 days, something like that? No, I think mine was like a week. Yeah. And I'll, I'll talk there to her and find out when she gets there hers. There you go. Buy a t-shirt. They're cool. So, on with the show. How's everyone tonight? Damp. How are you? Very, very good. Damp. Good. <laughs> That's a first. I mean, I heard damp. I'm damp. Well, maybe when someone's raining, but they wouldn't just... I, I'm damp too, buddy. It's raining from my pores. Yeah. It's hot outside. Yeah, it is. Very humid. Humid. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, what is like, what are they talking about the weather now on this podcast? Yeah. What yeah. gives? What gives? 30% chance of rain in the overnight hours. It should be a sunny morning for you guys. 78% chance of moisture in my pants. Yes. Yes. That's- 78% chance of swamp ass tonight <laughs> in the south regions. That's what they should do. This is the real weather. <laughs> we got 84% chance of boob sweat. Yeah. We just we just tell you two things: should you go outside or should you not? That's, that's, that's <laughs> you shouldn't. Today is a you should shouldn't. not go outside unless you have a pool. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, Sam we does. Can go outside. Sam does. Yeah. We still we need can. to do a pool cast. Cannonball. Get some waterproof equipment. and We'll be laying in the pool doing. We this. can use Maybe that we zoom bike from the break. We can use that zoom bike and just set it somewhere and crank up the levels. Mm. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. All right. Put it on a floaty in the middle <laughs> of the pool. Shall we get to it? Let's yeah. do it. Tonight, we're going to be talking about a little case called the Gitchy Manitou Murders. Say that again. Gitchy Manitou Murders. That's amazing. Gitchy Manitou Murders. That's amazing. Also, I would say I have not seen Joe with this much hair and... I'm going to be like Jiminus Christ. Jesus Herbert Christ. I'm, I will not cut my hair. Okay. My hair will not be cut for the foreseeable future. Oh, okay. I'm going to look any, like a ginger Jesus. Any reason or just... just I just, just want to. You just picked okay. the hottest part of the year to start growing (laughs) at a time says the guy with the zz top beard (laughs) but at least the top of your head is like your head is nice yeah cool my head's nice and cool the beard doesn't affect the heat it doesn't seem to bother me that much either people are always like how do you have that beard 
It's yeah. so goddamn hot. Doesn't bother I've me never now. been like, my face is so hot plus right I've now. Had, plus, I've had the beard for like eight years. True. I'd be, you know, used to it by you now. You don't even feel it, do you? No. Like, you don't feel it on your face no. whatsoever. Anyway. Yeah, everybody's, you like, everybody's like, man, it's an awesome beard. I'm like, oh my gosh. I, yeah, I totally forgot <laughs> I about I do have that. a beard. <laughs> if you shaved it, your skin would be like fresh, white, fallen snow, like probably. Like a baby's ass. Yes. Yes, it would. No sunlight has gotten to that thing. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> True. I can speak for that as well. But mine's not as awesome as his. So, on with the show. On with the show. The Gitchy Manitou Murders. Our story takes place in the winter of 1973 in a place called the Gitchy Manitou State Preserve, located in the very northwest tip of Iowa on the South Dakota border. All right. Hmm. Although the city of Sioux Falls, population 70,000 at the time, lay only 10 miles to the west of Gitche Manitou, the preserve was still fairly isolated and was a popular spot for campers, hikers, hunters, and of course, teenagers looking for a secluded hangout spot. Oh no, stuff doesn't go well when you talk about lover's lanes no. on a podcast normally. Nope. Yeah. But continue on. Can you guys just really quick think of the spot in your area that was the quote unquote not even so much just lover's lane, but just spot where teenagers would go, you know, do bad stuff. It was a bridge. It was an old bridge on a dirt road that you could drive under. Okay. Yeah. So we we had one of those. Bridge. It was a train bridge. Yeah. This was a car bridge, but okay. metal. Yeah. 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 What about you, Sam? So no? romantic. Oh, uh, no. Sam never got up to no good. So, uh, you know, this was the place uh, for these people, mostly the citizens of Sioux Falls, you know, the big old city that was 10 miles away. And this is what brought 18-year-old Stuart Bod, his 14-year-old brother Dana, 17-year-old Roger Essam, his 13-year-old girlfriend Sandra Chesky, and 15-year-old Michael Hadrath to the area on the night of November 17th. Of these five teens, only one would return alive, Sandra Chesky, and it would be her account of the incident and her life that we'll be focusing on tonight. To say that Sandra didn't have an ideal upbringing would be an understatement. She had four siblings and a stepfather who had zero time or patience for kids, which you think he would have considered before marrying a woman with four of them. Ah, oh, man. So where was the mom in all this? We'll get to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And she's, okay. Instead, he married Sandra's mother and then almost immediately pushed her to get rid of her kids. And she did. Pesky That's where she was in all this. Did you say pesky chesky? That's good. No, that's bad. Well, no, not Sandra, her mom. Her mom was a pesky chest for giving up those kids. Was it the dad's surname? I forgot. Uh, Who knows at this point? (laughs) It just worked. It just worked out to throw it in there. Uh, Sandra and her siblings were sent to foster homes. Yes. And Sandra also eventually ended up at the Marty Mission. Let's talk about that. Oh, no. Yes. We're going to talk about the Marty Mission for a minute because I didn't know anything about this until I did this research. According to Sandra's own words, this was a hard place to be, and she was not exaggerating. The Marty Mission was run of several Catholic boarding schools scattered across the Sioux Indian reservations of South Dakota. Okay. And for whatever reasons, reservation kids were required to attend, and their parents would face penalties and even jail time if they failed to send their kids. Wow. The term boarding schools uh, are a bit of a misnomer. They were set up and operated more like prisons. The buildings were surrounded by barbed wire, and the children were subjected to a harsh military-style schedule. And then there was the severe punishment that often included harsh physical abuse for the most minor infractions. Sounds like a series of unfortunate events. It really does. 
Like, yeah. you know, the show. Or, yeah, you know, sure, but, yeah. But still, just that whole, what I picture is just that. Yeah. yeah. Like a drab prison, like, uh-huh. yeah, a bunch of authoritarian figures. And then add in a bunch of violence. Right. Like, yeah. straight up violence. Yeah. Uh, former student Mary Jane Drum later recalled how her sister was beaten with a shovel after the nun suspected her of taking a pair of scissors. By the nun? Yes. Oh. Yes. I thought I thought you meant by like the other kids or something. No, no, wow. no. This is all from the authoritarian. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Another former stu- student, Yankton Sioux tribal member Izzy Zephyr, I believe, recalled how every Sunday students who'd been caught trying to run away from the mission were lined up, stripped naked, and given forty lashes with a rubber strap. Imagine all that doing all that stuff to to be religious. And really ending up in hell because you're one of those bitches. <laughs> wonder what level? I wonder what level that they're in. You know? oh, oh, they probably are in many levels yeah. of hell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you? The, yeah, they're like, can we put you in ten different levels of hell at the same time, you psychopath? And if you want to cancel me for for calling out a bunch of old bitches, cancel me. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're just you're just worthless. I mean, you're gonna abuse kids. You're, you're worth nothing. It was horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. What year was this again? This was in uh, early. Well, the crime happened in 73, so this is her upbringing, and she was only 13, so so we're looking at late 60s. 60s. Yeah. 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 Wow. And then, of course, cancel us for this, too. I don't give a shit. How can we mention the Catholic Church without adding rampant sexual abuse? It just is what it is. Oh, you're saying they... Oh, never mind. I've never heard of that. I hadn't heard. I haven't heard those two connected. Spotlight's a fantastic movie, and I read that it's... Super accurate. Really? Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, McAdams, Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams, yeah. It's a great movie. It's a really good movie. I need to watch that then. Yeah, it's very good. It's one of my favorite movies. In letters to the Catholic Church superiors at the time, it was almost cheekily admitted that one brother, Francis Chapman, known as Chappie, there's your first sign of Chappie. trouble. Old Father Chappie, Chappie. Had a bit of a problem with... And this is the way it was putting uh, it was put in the letters fooling around with little girls. Hmm. He had even been caught with a few children down in a darkened basement where a where a uh, pair of torn panties were found. But not to worry, the author of the letter wrote, because Chappie was now a new man, according to a report that was released in 1970. Oh, that's good. Total new man. Well, not that new, because just three years later, he was once again having difficulty with little girls, in quotation marks. That's how they word it? That's, yes. That was, I read the letter. Like, you're having trouble, you're having, like, that sounds like you're having trouble with them not doing their schoolwork. Yeah, nope. He was having trouble not uh, molesting them. Yeah. Just having trouble with that. Yeah. So... He was having trouble because he was molesting them. Yes. I like how he was just given several chances. So, Oh, yeah. You just move them around. That's, well, yeah. that's what happens in that Spotlight movie. And, and Well, I mean, it was an article, a research, like a journalism thing. Oh, okay. They uncovered, blew it all out of the water. Yeah, where everyone, all the superiors were like, well, you know, we all have our vices. You yeah. Know? We moved them to another parish. and Where there were other small kids. Right. Yeah. So it's it should work itself out. You know what's crazy? They end up doing it again. No way, really? Yeah, they did. They didn't even learn their lesson. Man. Any any rational person would think you could just move them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That guy that robbed that convenience store out here, I'm just going to move him to a different town. Yeah, because he will never do it again to that town's convenience stores. That's right. That's right. 
It's like we know Ted Bundy killed all these girls, but we're just going to move him to this other side different of the city. Yeah, I bet if they would have tried that, I bet he would have quit. No, he killed in like several cities. Oh, I think. That's true. Yeah, they, they couldn't Did use that. <laughs> Get him out of Washington. There you yeah, go. Exactly. Well, oh, he killed in it's Florida. He killed in okay. Florida too, though. True. Countries. Okay. Yeah. Him out I, the countries. I don't think he killed outside okay, the then, lower forty-eight. Then don't shoot down my idea. If it's not foolproof. Send him to Canada or Mexico. Hello, That's right. Hello, yeah. Canada. Yeah, we're sending up Ted Bundy. Do you we, got any for us to trade? We don't think he'll do. Oh, you're going to send us Willie Picton. Okay. <laughs> we'll trade. <laughs> it's like a trading game, trading card game, or baseball trading for players. Uh, hey, Canada, we're going to send you Van Halen. Oh, you're going to send us down Nickelback? No. Nah. We'll just <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't no. do that. Okay. Sorry, guys. I feel like Nickelback, good on you. Um, even the nuns got in on the action. I'm talking about the uh, molesting action. According to a 1976 report that detailed how they had, quote, excessive interest in some of the older boys at the mission. And in true Catholic style, the children were intimidated into silence with threats of even more punishment and, of course, eternal damnation. Hmm. I must add that the schools were either closed down or turned over to tribal control by the end of the 70s. And in 2003, several survivors began to file a host of lawsuits for the mission's abuses, which included, but were not limited to, rape, sodomy, and molestation. So this is basically white Catholic people on uh, Indian reservations. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Mm -hmm. some racism too. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I guess. I mean, it. At that point, who cares? You're just a sick person. But yeah. And may we be forever damned for touching little children that saith everyone else but us. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah, that's probably exactly so. I wonder what level of hell we will go on to for touching little children. I guess we'll have to wait and see. That's what I was talking about in my joke earlier. You're doing all this. You're, you're, you're not marrying people. You're not having sex with people. You're living in this like weird shelter thing, you know, building. Like you're doing all that to, for your faith and for your religion, but you can't leave the kids alone. Yeah. Like, so like somebody on the outside that's just living a good life is way f- ahead of you as far yeah. as, you know, it's like I might doesn't listen- even practice anything. Yeah. It's like, I might not go to church and I listen to rock and roll and exorcist is my favorite movie. <laughs> Ironically, uh, <laughs> but I don't touch kids. That's uh. right. That's so right. I think I outrank you. That's right. On the morality yeah. scale. That's right. Yeah. See? Jesus. So at that point, why even be in the church, you know? Yeah. Just leave the, I guess, oh, I get it. It's access. That's why Reagan threw it's him out the window. And, <laughs> access Sorry. and power, right? I mean, that's why they're there. If they're there doing that stuff, I hate to say it. They're not helping anyone. Yeah, anyway. This is, yeah, it's going in a weird direction. Yeah, but it just makes me mad, but it makes you mad. Well, yeah, but I mean, I knew when I wrote it, it's like, well, yeah, this is going on a rant because yeah. <laughs> how can you talk about that without? Yeah, well, yeah, okay. I'll leave it alone from here. Well, all that doesn't directly involve tonight's case, but I wanted to give everyone an idea of where Sandra was coming from and what she'd already had to deal with even before she got to the horrific events that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So this poor gal had already been through the ringer. Okay. So we got it set up. Yes. Okay. In October of 73, Sandra was at the Starlight Drive-In Theater in Sioux Falls, and that's where she met Roger Essam. 
She described it as love at first sight, and the pair quickly became boyfriend and girlfriend. They had only been out together a few times, mainly because their mode of transportation was Roger's friend Stuart, who would escort the couple in his 1967 blue Chevy van. But this is what brings us to the night of November 17th. Okay. Earlier that evening, Roger called Sandra asking if she'd want to go with him and, of course, out uh, with Stuart out to the Gitche Manitou Preserve to build a campfire and just chill out. Yeah. He probably said hang out because this was 1973. Stuart was also a budding musician and was going to bring along his guitar to play around the fire. They'd also be joined by Stuart's younger brother, Dana, and another friend named Michael. So Roger... Stuart, Dana, and Michael were all best of friends, so it wasn't odd that they were all coming along. In fact, it was stranger to see the group not together. A night out sounded great, and oh, by the way, one of the boys had scored a joint earlier in the day, and they'd have that too. So Sandra was in, and by the time the crew had all loaded up in Stuart's van and arrived at the park, it was around 10.30 p.m. A fire was built, and Stuart started strumming his acoustic as the group chatted and passed around the joint. Now, anyone who's ever been at a teenage campfire hangout such as this knows there's usually that one guy who tries to scare everyone by pretending he or she, one guy or gal, hears a noise in the woods. Yeah. Did you guys hear that? Yeah. Shut up, Jack. No one hears anything. Shut up. Stop being stupid. She's trying to scare us. Not, man. I swear to God. That's what I always say. There's something over there. I always tell people that. Was it Michael? Ooh. (laughs) And then the girl's like, stop it. Asshole. Everybody. That's what I usually do. That's <laughs> Ivan. Stop it. You're trying you're trying to scare us. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> well, that's what the rest of, of the group thought at first when Roger claimed to hear a twig break in the darkness. Did you hear that? Only about half an hour after they had arrived, right? Mm-hmm. As Stuart halted his playing, though, the rest of the group heard rustling in the woods. Roger called out, Who's there? Got no reply. He then gave Sandra a quick kiss and said, I'll be right back, before getting up and walking no. to the edge of the fire's light to get a better view. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why, why, did you, why are you walking to the edge of the firelight? But just after a few steps, a shot rang out of the darkness, and Roger collapsed into a pile on the ground and did not move again. I wasn't expecting a gunshot. That quick. Wow. Only a second later, another shot rang out, and Stuart was struck in the arm. More shots rang out, and Michael dropped to the ground as well, wounded but still alive. That's when the group finally got the first view of their attackers. Three men emerged from the darkness, all holding shotguns, and announced that they were law enforcement there to arrest them for the marijuana they'd been smoking. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) No, it's not. A little extreme. (laughs) Yes. I was expecting a ticket. Yeah. Well... I'll explain that. One of the men made his way to the three who were laying on the ground, kicking them and ordering them to, quote unquote, stop playing dead. Get up. Roger still did not move. Unbeknownst to the group of teenagers, these three men had been watching them from a secluded ledge several yards away. At this particular time, Sandra believed their claims of being law enforcement. They told her that they had only shot the boys with tranquilizers and that they were all being arrested for drugs. Stuart and Michael knew damn well they had not been shot with tranquilizers and that these men were not cops. And the boys were right. They were actually three brothers from the area, Alan, David, and James Fryer, who were 29, 24, and 21 years old, respectively. They were all dirt bags with records, and shockingly, James Fryer was actually supposed to be in jail at the time of the incident. 
He was part of a work release program that had allowed him out during uh, the daytime to work his job, and then he'd report back to jail after. But earlier that day, the older Friar brothers decided they wanted to go out to Gitchy Manitou to poach a deer. And they wanted James to go as well. So they came up with a plan to call the jail, posing as James's boss, and claiming that he was needed back at work that night for an extra shift. As, stu- worked. as stupid as it sounds, it worked. Wow. It was 1973, and it worked. Well, it all checks out, seems <laughs> like. You better get out there. Your boss is going to want you in a few hours. Bob, should we call the workplace to verify? Shut your m- I don't pay you to think. I've been here 12 years. I know what I'm doing. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It worked. Their dumbass plan worked. No one's probably ever tried it. I guess not. You know? I mean, think about it. It's a ballsy plan, even though these guys are a bunch of losers. I mean, it's a ballsy plan. That's like, was it uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off where where they call in pretending to be his dad? Yes, where he calls in and to get him out of school. Anyway, yeah. All right. Yeah. So that is how it came to pass that these three shitbags were out running around the preserve armed with shotguns that night. I like that adjective for these guys. Me too. Unfortunately, or instead... I guess nouns. Would it be a noun? Yeah. Sorry. Oh, nouns. Yeah. I'm wrong. Sorry. Well, hey, it slipped right by me. I wouldn't know. Um, unfortunately, instead of deer, it was the group of teenagers that they spotted. James was initially sent to sneak in for a closer and better look. When he reported back to his brothers, he told them that he could smell marijuana and that there were actually a couple of girls in the group. Turns out he had mistaken Dana with his soft features and long hair as a female, but he was not. It is not known whether, by the way, Dana was the brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is not known whether or not the main targets were the girls or the weed or maybe both. Either way, it was then that the brothers had hatched their scheme of portraying themselves as officers and ambushing the group. The Friar brothers never specified why they did what they did. But many who knew them have said that they were all separately degenerates, but were even worse when they were all together because they'd feed off each other. I wonder if it was because those people all had friends and they didn't have to hang out with their brothers all the time. I think that's yeah. It's got a bit of a devil's rejects vibe. Yeah, it. really, really, yeah. How Look do up. we make them? How do we make them friends like they got? <laughs> I want one. Yeah, look up their. I'll post pictures of them, and you'll see Devil's Rejects. We don't need no friends. We got each other. We got each other, Bubba. Brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl. You want me to kill them? (laughs) So it's possible that one brother simply shot Roger to show off, and the others followed his example. But again, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Yeah. So the brothers now march Sandra and the badly wounded Michael, Stuart, and Dana up the ridge to their waiting truck. Sandra, who still believed they were being arrested, and she's 13, right? Sure. She said to her friends, well, I guess I'll see you guys at school. Alan Fry then tied her hands behind her back and placed her in the truck. As the pair drove away, she looked back to see the Fryer brothers lining up the boys by the van at gunpoint. What she wouldn't find out till the next day was that shortly after she had lost sight of them, Michael Hadrath and Stuart and Dana Bod were systematically executed by James and David Fryer. Alan Fryer and Sandra drove back through South Dakota, and he eventually untied her hands, telling her that she was, quote, too young to get busted for weed. Sandra, still believing he was a cop, was relieved and thought he was going to drive her home. He gained even more of her trust when they stopped at a gas station where he bought her a soda. But Alan didn't intend on driving her home. I think we all know where this is going. Oh, no. 
Instead, he drove her to an abandoned farmhouse in the middle of nowhere where the two other Friar brothers were waiting. Alan then climbed out of the truck and James climbed in. He ordered Sandra to remove her clothes and he sexually assaulted her. Afterwards, he exited the truck and Alan climbed back in. Sandra, now crying and obviously in distress, told Alan, I was a virgin, you know. Mm. So that's hard to read. Yeah. Uh, No, you weren't, he replied. Yes, I was. I'm only 13, she responded. Hearing this seemed to shake whatever tiny little bit of humanity was inside Alan. Yeah, it's a kid. Yes. And he he did legitimately, it, it turned for him right there. And he told her, I will do what I can to get you out of this. And this is coming from Sandra. Like, you know, she said when she said that something flipped and he was just like, you know, what, whatever ounce of that wasn't shit bag inside him woke up and was like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Sandra and he engaged in a pretty long conversation during the truck ride and away from his brother's Alan had started to see her as an actual human instead of a piece of meat. Alan had a 13-year-old stepdaughter and would later say at trial that Sandra being 13 really affected him. Although before anyone sings the guy's praises, he did stand by and do jack shit sure, while his when, brother raped her. So. Yeah. And he was a part of the... The murders. Yeah. Yeah. It, everything. Yeah. So, Regardless, Alan and Sandra then pulled away from the farmhouse and got back on the road. The other Friar brothers had instructed him to take Sandra to a remote location and kill her. But to her utter relief, Alan then asked where she lived and said he was going to take her home. He also warned her not to say a word about what had happened that night. And most unbelievable of all, as Sandra was getting out of the truck, he asked for her phone number. (laughs) Yeah, man. <laughs> hey, if you ever want to do this again, uh, can I get your digits? I know the night started off kind of rocky. Your friend, yeah. Yeah. Friends dying, sexual assault, but. Yeah. That aside. Bygones be bygones. Yeah. What I just. Complete idiot. Well. I mean, that's, I can't think of a way to put it harsher than that. I don't I mean, know. it's like, instead of adding cuss words. Yeah, yeah, I don't uh I don't know, man. Oh man. It's kind That's of like crazy. what is there to say about that? That is crazy. Well, the next morning, Sandra tried to call Roger but got no answer. Remember, she had just thought that they were picked up, you know, for weed. Afterwards, she and a friend hitchhiked to Sioux Falls, closer to Roger's house, where she found a payphone and tried to call again. Okay. This time, Roger's brother answered. He told her to stay right where she was and that he would come get her. Something terrible had happened. You see, just hours after the murders, a couple was out test driving a new car and happened upon four bodies lying in some tall grass just off the road in Gitche Manitou Preserve. Sandra was then taken to the police department and told them what had happened the night before. The police immediately brought out an array of mugshots for her to comb through, after which they began daily trips driving Sandra around the area to look for the farmhouse where she had been assaulted. Okay. I, I kind of like this part of the story because they have to figure it out. It's kind of neat. Yeah, and the police... I mean, I hate that everything happened. Oh, yeah, of course. Put that on record. <laughs> but <laughs> this part's kind of cool. This is kind of where I like to see like good police work. and uh, It's almost like when you watch a chess game and you see somebody make good moves and beat somebody else. This is I like this part. The, the cops are making like smart moves and stuff. Yeah. I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's like in these... Obviously. In these stories, I guess, it either goes one way or the other. A lot of times, it's you get really frustrated. 
the cops mm-hmm. a lot of times for whatever a lot of times it was because it was just so long ago i don't know yeah i gotcha that the police don't take it seriously or this or that i mean i guess they would take four bodies seriously no yeah. matter what but uh i don't know in a lot of cases you're just like really frustrated as you're listening to the podcast yeah. Like, oh yeah but no in this one it sounds like they got right on the ball and you know yeah they, they did good work yeah oh yeah a few of the police had trouble believing her story, though. It seemed crazy to them that she was left alive while the other four were so brutally murdered. It also seemed unlikely that only one of the three brothers would sexually assault her, which is kind of sad. Right. You mean only one of them did it? Yeah. I think all four would have probably had to go, or all well, three. Of course, I guess if they know those, if they knew those guys, right? Oh, they didn't at know. the, the they time didn't they didn't know. know. Oh, okay. No, oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry, I'm caught back up. But like, now. where's your faith in humanity? If you were like, I don't believe only one did. If you told me all three did, I'd be, I'd believe your story. I don't know. Well, all I could say is I don't know. I don't have enough experience with it. Like, is it that when their family members that do that most most of the time do all of them do it? You know, maybe hmm. so. I don't know. That might be the standard. You know, most of the time they do, not just. Not just one. Only one of the three. I don't yeah. know, man. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Hey, throw it. See what sticks, man. That's Throwing what we do. You. Just getting a whole Firefly family vibe off of this thing, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're right. They also believe that she must have known who had done this and was just afraid or unwilling to talk. I don't know where they got that. But according to Sandra, they were uh, patient and nice to her in the days they had spent searching for the farmhouse. On November 29th, 12 days after the murders, a deputy was driving Sandra through a rural area when she yelled out, there it is, that's the house. They pulled over and got out to investigate. The farmhouse was obviously abandoned, but as the deputy began to enter the premises for a better look, something remarkable happened. He heard Sandra yell out from behind him, there he is, that's the guy. Unbelievably, at that moment... Alan Fryer was driving by in the same truck Sandra had been kidnapped in. Talk about (laughs) everything lining up perfect. Wow. He was arrested on the spot, and the other Fryer brothers were brought into custody soon after. (laughs) What a coincidence. Did he just happen to live super close? I mean, did he live in that house? That house was abandoned. Okay. And I don't know why. It was fairly out in the middle of nowhere from what I read, so... Was he one of those sickos that just like like to drive by the scene of whatever happened? Yeah, or, or they used that abandoned house for all kinds of yeah weird riff raffery. Yeah, true raffery. <laughs> yeah, that I was like it. That I was like that up. word. On December first, nineteen seventy three, all three brothers were arraigned and charged with four counts of murder. They proceeded to blame each other and came up with super idiotic stories, even claiming that. Sandra was once laughing and having a great time while her friends were murdered and willingly had sex with James. The brothers' trials lasted 18 months and relied heavily on Sandra's testimony. Mm-hmm. On February 12, 1974, David Fryer pled guilty to the murder of Stuart Bod and guilty to three charges of murder and one charge of manslaughter. The judge sentenced David to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Allen was not bright, as was obvious. <laughs> but was tested and deemed fit to stand trial. May 20th, 1974, Allen was found guilty of four counts of first-degree murder and was sentenced to four consecutive life terms in prison. Mm -hmm. On June 18th, 1974, after Allen Fryer's trial, he and James escaped from the Lyon County Jail, stole a vehicle, and fled the state. However, they were arrested soon after in Gillette, Wyoming, and brought back to face federal charges. 
On December 30th, 1974, James Fryer was found guilty of three charges of first-degree murder and one charge of manslaughter. He was also given life without the possibility of parole. I wonder if some people had, like, signs, handmade signs that said stuff like, Fry the Friars, stuff like that. <laughs> you know? That would be my sign I'd make and send out by the courthouse. You know, when they were about to uh, kill Ted Bundy, they, uh, they had people standing out around the jail that had like Bundy barbecue, bar- barbecue Bundy. And <laughs> like, Bundy. yeah, they had all these, yeah, all these colorful signs, which I, I get it. The guy did a bunch of bad stuff, but I always thought it was kind of weird when people were like having a tailgate party yeah. outside while yeah. they were about to execute someone. Was it uh, Ted killed in the electric chair? Ted Bundy? I believe he was. I know he was because I've seen the picture post-mortem where his head is shaved. Hmm. Okay. So barbecue. Barbecue Bundy. That worked worked perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, can you kill Dahmer in a way that we can play something off his last name for a colorful t-shirt? Well, (laughs) you know how Dahmer died, right? How's that? Oh, yeah. He got killed in prison, right? Yeah. Beat to death by a uh, fellow inmate with a broom handle or something. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Brutal, huh? Didn't they impale him with it? I don't know. I, I don't know specific. I just know he's beat to death. Yeah. I He's dead now. Uh, a friend of mine, um, he'd been dead for, godly, quite a few years. Dahmer was a friend of yours? <sighs> no, but his name was Jeff, to be honest. Oh. oh. He had been in prison, and I don't know if this is true or not, but he told me that he was in there one time in the mess hall, and someone had stolen a knife from the kitchen and he said, almost like right by him, this guy held another guy up and was stabbing him against the brick. And he said, you could hear the knife hitting the brick, wow. you know, behind yeah. the guy. He was going through him. That's right. what he told me. Wow. Yeah. That's been a long time ago. He wouldn't but. lie. Here's something interesting. Uh, I've just been kind of hung up on the whole Devil's Rejects thing. Yeah. And so I, I just Googled to see if they were based off of, you know, anything true life. Oh, really? Yeah. And so it, it's mainly off, you know, just fiction that Rob Zombie wrote. Sure. Because he was inspired by Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, yeah. and all, you know, all those movies. But I did find something, and we're going to go back here. Is it going to be the Old West case? Like the. The it one is, where the family was killing the people yes, in the... Yes, it says the real-life counterparts is the Bender family. Yep, no Bender. way! Yeah, Bloody Benders. What episode was the Bloody Benders, guys, that we did? 113. You were close, Ivan. Yeah. So go back and listen to the episode 113. 113. Number 13. The Bloody yep. Benders. The Bloody Benders. And wow. Yeah. Cool. That's, that's, that's neat that you found that. Yeah. And Kate Bender was super hot. Apparently, mm-hmm. as was uh, the gal in that movie. Oh yeah, yeah. What's her name? Sherry Moon Zombie is mm-hmm. her real name. Yeah, but I don't know her. I can't remember her name in the uh, in the movie. I guess oh, Rob baby. Zombie. I guess hmm? see Wasn't Rob it Zombie. Baby, baby, was it September? Do what? Oh yeah, uh, Rocklahoma. Yeah, I yeah. forgot about that. He's the. Yeah. I think he's the headliner. That'll be pretty cool. Yeah, uh, fantastic on Rogan. If if you want to hear him talk, it was for a long period of time. So well-spoken, so smart, mm-hmm. super cool guy. Oh, yeah, talking about his days coming up in New York yeah. and like the music scene is very interesting. And he has some like, I love it when somebody has, I tell people the way I made it was this, and they have like those easy ways to relate. Like, it's, I, I like that. I really yeah, like that. I do too. You know, you've got words of wisdom for the up-and-comers. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. All three Friar brothers are still alive 
and oh, incarcerated wow. Wow. to this day. Allen is in a penitentiary in Anamosa, Iowa, and David and James are in uh, the Fort Dodge Correctional Facility in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Wow. Cool. Maybe they'll listen to the podcast from prison. Hopefully they stay in prison because we've called them some unfair, not unfair. Unfair, no. We haven't called them some unfair. No, I didn't mean unfair. Unsavory names. Well, yeah. They're, they're, they're sharpening their prison shank like, oh, dumbasses, are we? Mm. We get out in four days. Yeah. Where are you located? That's what I would be yeah, afraid. How old are they now? I mean, they were. Well, this was in 73. 30s. They were 30 when they went in in, in 73. No, they weren't 30. I think they were like. Well, you said. At the beginning, you said they were like 29, and I can remember. The was it 24, season. 29? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So around there. And so, that, okay, so they're probably in their, what, 70s? Yeah. Late 60s? That ain't that old. No, nah, that's they're true. They're old man strong now. Old man strong. That's true. That's a thing. Old man strength, man. Yeah. Seriously. Anyone listening, go find an old man and challenge him to a fight, and you'll be surprised. <laughs> What's with the old men tonight? On the mini man, that's what you're talking about. <laughs> Asking your grandpa if he had anything to do with the crime. Don't fight an old man. Don't do it. Old man strength. I'd never heard that before, but I guess it makes sense. There's old man strength for sure. Okay. Yeah. Man, my dad, when he was 80, my dad would do a thing when we went to church. He would love to do it. He would shake people's hands, and there was other guys, younger guys in the church that would, it became a thing. That when you shook my dad's hand. Oh yeah, I knew some older gentlemen that would do that. It hurt. They'd hurt you. Yes, like they like it became a thing. So you'd see these guys kind of snicker and come up. And my dad go, "Hey there, brother, whatever," and they'd shake his hand, and you'd just see their knees go down. And my dad go, ah, you know, kind of like you didn't get me, you know. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, he was. Uh, my God, his hands are as big as canned hams, though. I mean, yeah. like, he was. Well, I hope that those guys don't get out just because they like us, because they'll shake our hands and hurt hurt us. So. <laughs> I don't I'm, think they're I'm going anywhere. I'm afraid of that. Myself. I don't think they're going now anywhere. I you mention that. I don't want an old man hurting my hand. But yeah, poor Sandra Chesky. I, I read a couple of interviews with her and stuff. And is she still uh, alive? She's still around, man. Yeah. And I hope she's doing good. God yeah, knows. Too, yeah. I, I hope. I hope. I hope that all the crappy parts of her life were over with right out of the gate, real early. And then she's sure. had a fantastic life ever since. Hopefully, yeah. so that's what we're hoping. Yeah. Because yeah. good lord, man. Definitely. Okay, is that all you got? That's all I got, that's fellas. A good one. That's a good one. Well, hey, a bad one and a good one. The badder and a gooder. Yeah. So, uh, you know, thank you guys for listening. Let me tell you about some fellas I know named Ivan, Sam, and Joe. They got themselves a little podcast, you know. And they talk about everything under the sun they find interesting, spooky, or fun. And they sure ain't trying to impress no one. The remedy to too much time on your hands is take a little listen to the dawn of Manti. They talk about killers, monsters, and cults. French mates from hell, disappeared folks. Occasionally throw in a few dad jokes. They try to make every story extra nice by adding their own ginger spice. Not one time or two, but thrice. thrice, thrice, thrice. The remedy to too much time on you hands is take a little listen to the dawn of Manti. 
Now I'm sure these fellas will be around for quite a spell Cause there sure ain't no shortage of stories to tell Cause this old world's as weird as hell But hell, even if nobody listens You know they'd maintain a fine disposition Cause shooting the breeze is kind of their mission Too much time on your hands is take a little listen to the dawn of mantis. The remedy to too much time on your hands is take a little listen to the 